Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Amen. And so that's what what we're doing. But today is part two of the kingdom. I didn't give you this scripture, so don't worry about this, okay? I tried to reinforce how important the kingdom of God was. In other words, if the Beatitudes, if the Beatitudes are the kingdom ethics, in other words, this is what the people of the kingdom look like. This is what they live like. This is who they are. This is how they are. You know, more than just... uh, a, a list of suggestions on how to be a good Christian. No, if the, if the Beatitudes are the kingdom ethics, just, if you want to see what God's people look like, this is what they look like. Why am I concerned about kingdom ethics if I'm not convinced that I live in another kingdom? Does that make sense? If the point was to punch a ticket to a, to a one-day destin, final destination called heaven, but to not be transformed by the gospel here and now on the earth, then why, why should I concern myself with looking, living like a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God? And so that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're going to continue to talk about. Um, John the Baptist shows up in Matthew chapter 3. He's got, you know, he's, he's, he's a wild man. He dresses funny. He eats funny. He's a wild man. And he's, and, he, and he's preaching this message. Re, for, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? That's his message. People are flocking to the message of the kingdom. And they're being baptized by him. Jesus himself is coming to John the Baptist. To be baptized by him. Next chapter, Matthew chapter 3, says that John the Baptist was put into prison. And from that point to where John the Baptist got put into prison, Jesus picks up his, his uh, whatever, his, 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 his team, his, well, I, don't, I don't know what the word is. Jesus moves from um, uh, Nazareth to Galilee. And once he gets to Galilee, he starts his ministry, right? He got baptized. He, he went, came up out of the water, went into the desert, 40 days prayer and fasting, was tempted, went back to Nazareth. John the Baptist is put into prison. When John the Baptist is put into prison, it's the trigger for Jesus to leave Nazareth and go to Capernaum to listen, listen to me, not start a new ministry but to pick up a ministry that had already been started. John the Baptist started. He was the forerunner, and he began a message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus, he goes from Nazareth to Capernaum, and his first words out of his mouth, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's my point by sharing this to you. There's going to be a lot of teaching today. Here's my point by sharing this with you today. The kingdom... Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand is not a Jesus message. It's not a John the Baptist message. It's a God message. It was God's idea. God put it in the heart of John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus uh, continued it. 
That makes sense? The forerunner started it, Jesus continued it, and ultimately fulfilled, the, not ultimately, ultimately fulfilled, but ultimately uh, the king came, did what was necessary so that the kingdom message could be fulfilled by his disciples. That's Y-O-U and me, right? So the kingdom of God message is a message that was, is a message that is, is a message that is and continuing to come. Amen? Uh, uh, so, we, we, we kind of read verses like, you know, Matthew chapter 4, verses, I think it's uh, 17, and down there like, later on, like 20-something through the, the end of the chapter, where Jesus says, he went around, oh, this is really good, let's just turn there real fast, um, give me Matthew chapter 4, the end of the verses, chapters, uh, verses 20, uh, let me have a, you may got a Bible I can borrow, Anybody? I got one on my phone, here we go. No, I got one on my computer right here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Don't worry about the screen. They, they're they're, they're going to believe me that I'm not lying, okay? Y'all believe that I'm not lying about the Bible? Okay, good. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Listen to this. Listen to this. By the way, this is not the message yet. <laughs> I'm getting there. Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of... That's important. He's not preaching the gospel of salvation. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation, there's, actually there is no gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Salvation is how you get into the kingdom. But the message is the kingdom, not just salvation. Okay? And so, um, so Jesus goes around. He's teaching and preaching. Everybody say teaching and preaching. But he's also doing this. Not with his, not what, not what he says, but what he does is he heals all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of diseases. Uh, his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him everybody who was sick, afflicted with diseases, torments, those who were demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. Now listen, listen. He's preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. We live in a gospel world, age, that talks a lot about signs, wonders, and miracles, doesn't talk about kingdom, and not able to demonstrate any of it. So you've heard this all your life, and it really is true. Seek the giver, not the gift. There is this idea that as long as we're focused on signs, wonders, and miracles, I really think we're going to stunt our growth. We need to focus on the king, his kingdom, and his kingdom ways, and then watch God come back up the play. That was good. Watch God come back. Okay, that's, that's that right there. Let's, let's demonstrate that. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Um, I want to see the kingdom not only taught, I want, I, I, I'm not only wanting to see the kingdom preached, I want to see the kingdom demonstrated. But the message isn't the demonstration. The demonstration is the demonstration. The message is we need to stay vigilant to talk about the kingdom and its ways and his king. Amen? And then watch God come. Let me, let me show you what that looks like. Amen? So Paul said, use the same language. Paul did the same thing. Paul said, I'm not coming at you with persuasive speech. I'm not coming at you with fancy words. I'm going to come at you with one message, Christ crucified and a demonstration of the gospel. Right? It's the same thing. He preached. He was, uh, Paul was a boring preacher. He had one message, all he preached about. He was so, look, I am a better preacher than Paul. That is not true because you fall asleep on me too. 
that. We live in a world where you do a lot of talking and not a lot of demonstrating. I want to see that change. Somebody say amen. amen. But let's get to today's message that is, uh, that is um, has the potential to be one that kind of stings a little bit. So everybody say praise God. In the same way last week, I said we all need to start at ground zero, meaning uh, let's all act like we don't know anything and not let Chester tell us what to think, but let the scriptures tell us what to think. Let's all start at ground zero. Uh, I don't want to appear or communicate the idea that I have any of the Beatitudes mastered. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like on some level, we're all starting at ground zero. So in that same that same school of thought, I want to say this. We all in this room, on the same level, need to repent. I told you it's going to be kind of cool today, right? We all need to repent. We have done a major disservice to the concept of repentance where we've made it about salvation. Repentance is not about salvation. We took one verse where he says, repent and be saved. We took one verse and ultimately defined all the repentance on that one concept of salvation. Repentance is the, is the lifestyle and the way to receive the kingdom. I've been saved since I was, I don't know, a boy. I don't know the day I got saved. Some of y'all have that thing where you can tell you the day and the hour and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. At some point, I just, I, I was. Okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, here's the point. I, I still need to repent at, as, as a senior pastor man of God. I still need to repent as much as I did the first day I got saved. Why? Because I haven't fully assimilated into the kingdom. I'm still being transformed. I'm still being renewed. I'm still being metamorphosized into what it means to ultimately be the kingdom. I won't fully get there until the kingdom comes, but I should look a whole lot more like the kingdom on, at the end than I do at the beginning. You know what I'm saying? So we all need to repent. Everybody say this with me. Go ahead and say it out loud to kind of break that ice. I need, I need to, to, the Christian dirty word, repent. Repentance is not a Christian dirty word. Somebody say amen. All right. Here's the thing. Let me, let's, let, me, let me define for you what repentance is. Especially in the context of John the Baptist and Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. By the way, uh, the order of the words, that doesn't happen in Greek. There is not word order in the Greek language. So this, uh, some people teach repentance as a prerequisite into the kingdom. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the kingdom comes and then you commit to a lifestyle of repentance. There is no word order in Greek. It's, how many of y'all took Spanish and you realized everything was backwards? It's, it's, in, in the Greek language, the repent could be at the beginning, it could be at the end, and it would not change the meaning of the, of the sentence whatsoever. The kingdom is here. Repent. Simply what it's telling you is to access and live in the kingdom, you have to change from what you are to what the kingdom is. So we're going to embrace a very uh, macro Vision, again, I'm teaching today, not a micro vision of repentance. Repentance oftentimes gets pigeonholed into the one thing you're doing bad in life. Does that make sense? 
uh, I'm, I'm, I got mad at the dog and I said something, I need to repent. Okay, whatever, dude. Okay, like, that's great, right? Jesus is not talking about finally combing with a fine-tooth comb through every aspect of your life to see all the bad things you do so that you can individually go pick out every one of those things and make them better. Although we should repent over things we do. Everybody say amen, right? But Jesus is talking about a lifestyle change, wholesale lifestyle change. In other words, uh, being saved or born again is the concept that you, your old man, your way of life, your living, you go under the water and you die and you come up a brand new creation or creature and then you walk out the new creation life, nothing like the old man, but only the new man who is in Christ. Amen? So we're talking about the macro uh, definition of repentance, not just nitpicking the finer things is what is what we try to do. Okay, that makes sense. So that's where a lot of the legalism or shame kind of comes into the picture. Is we get like we get nitpicky. That's what that's what Jesus got uh, real uh, uh, testy with the Pharisees because they would strain at a gnat. They would strain it and that. They got real nitpicky about some of these individual things, but their hearts, the beatitudes weren't there. So we're talking about wholesale changes. We're talking about dying to me and becoming who he is, becoming a man in Christ. So we're talking about repentance, which is defined uh, this way. To change one's way. Everybody say way. Jesus said, I am the in other words, you don't walk your way, you walk his way. Amen? To change one's way of life. Not just parts of your life, not a little bit of your life, not your Sunday morning schedule. Not your, not your uh, when you feel like it part. Your entire life ceases to be about you and ceases to be about um, all this stuff. And you live to Christ. Amen? Which literally means to die. Amen? So, uh, to change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude. Everybody say attitude. Everybody say attitude. Now, everybody add the word be in front of it. You see what I'm saying? It's a complete change of thinking and attitude. I'm no longer the man I was. I'm now a follower of Christ. I have a new way to think, a new attitude. It's the B attitude. Does that make sense? That is repentance. It's big picture. It's the macro version. It's not, it's not straining at the gnats in our life. It means to reconsider specifically in this, in this verse. It means to have a change of self, heart and mind, that abandons that abandons the former dispositions. That abandons. That abandons. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sermon on the Mount. If your right hand caused you to sin, abandon it. If your right eye caused you to sin, abandon it. Don't try to uh, purify a sinful hand. Cut it off and completely go to a new way. Your way of thinking. I'm talking about before you were born. I'm talking about now. Before you were born again and right now. When we're thinking in the flesh, 
when we're thinking with our carnal mind, it needs to be abandoned. There is no carnal wisdom that is good enough for God. That was better preaching than the shouting. There is no carnal wisdom that's good enough for God. It's God's way or the highway. Literally. Amen? So, yeah, this is going to be great. The kingdom is here, so what we do is change one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude. The kingdom is here, so change of self, heart and mind that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self with new behavior and a new, life, a new way of living. Uh, one more time. Where is Grayson? Come on, Grayson. No, you're... Yeah, come on, come on Grayson. One more time. Some of y'all remember this from last week. I'm going to do it again. Everybody say, hi, Grayson. Everybody say, bye, Grayson. We're shipping Grayson off to... Let's do a new country this way. I don't want to offend anybody this week. A new country. Everybody, somebody shout out the first country that comes to mind. Uganda. We're shipping... <laughs> we're shipping this sweet little girl to Uganda. And you're 16, right? So she's going to move to Uganda. She's going to live there for the rest of her life. She's going to, she's going to absolutely be cut off from all contact, all uh, anything of this world and her life right now. She is being shipped over there, and she is to uh, begin a brand new life in Uganda. Now, once she gets there, because we make this thing legal, we're going to give her papers. We're going to give her documents that say you're now a Ugandan citizen. Okay? So she's legal. She has the papers in her hand. She can show them to anybody and say, I am now a citizen of this country. Here's the problem, though. She doesn't she, she, she knows she has to be there. This is not spiritual whatsoever, okay? This is not like she's a missionary. I'm just saying she, this is just some weird science experiment, okay? But she knows she has to be there. She knows she's never leaving. But she's still the pool of home. is still very real. And she misses her American things and, and all that kind of stuff and her culture, what she wants to do, her desires, her way of life. In Uganda, they wake up at 5 o'clock every morning. She's like, I don't like waking up at 5 o'clock every morning. Right? Whatever. Whatever. All the customs. So she has the paper, but she's fighting against assimilating into the Ugandan culture. She doesn't want to wear their clothes. She doesn't want to eat their food. She doesn't want to speak their language. She doesn't want to live their lifestyle. She doesn't want to take on their customs. She has to be so convinced of the Ugandan king that makes her want to change everything. That's salvation. So over the course of time, she is, I don't know, we should say sanctified or pursuing discipleship and the longer she stays ingrained in the Ugandan culture and kingdom the more she looks sounds like eats like dresses like talks like customizes like a Ugandan citizen her goal isn't to live the rest of her days proving her citizenship by paperwork but having no desire to be assimilated you understand what I'm saying? Her goal is to fully embrace and become a Ugandan citizen. So now she's 
90 years old, still kicking it because she hasn't been eating McDonald's all her life, okay? And so she's still kicking it. So we pick up, we pick up Ugandan uh, Graceland and bring her back, Grayson, and bring her back to El Dorado, Arkansas, and we stick her right back in here. And, she, and we put her right here in front of everybody, and she looks at all of us like, who are you and what are you people? And she's like, I, this is not right, right? Uh, y'all are strange. I'm not used to living this way. I've devoted my entire life to being a Ugandan citizen, and now you guys are the thing that's different. And in other words, I feel like a fish out of water now. That should be, at the essence, this this uh, this dis comfort, dissatisfaction, this uh, not feeling at home in this world should be the mark of the believer who is fully assimilated into the kingdom that they can never be fully comfortable in this world. Y'all there? Thank you, Ugandan uh, Grace. Next time it's going to be Norwegian, okay? You could probably do good in Norway, all right? So, yeah. So everybody understand what I'm saying? Here's the thing. When you said yes to Jesus, you didn't just say yes to, I want a citizenship ticket to get me to heaven. That wasn't the call. If that was the call, it was a hear me clearly perverted uh, display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The call was never simply to punch a ticket to a final destination. The call was to, as Jesus put it to Peter, come and follow me. The call was to, if you want to be, if you want to be a Christian, here's what you got to do. You got to die to self, pick up a cross, uh, deny yourself. In other words, the call is to follow me means you completely die to self and fully assimilate into the kingdom way to the point where this world becomes more foreign every day. That makes sense? That's what real discipleship. That's what real discipleship, that's what real following after Jesus looks like. And that is absolutely 100% the, uh, uh, the mandate that's been placed before this church. Is to embrace Jesus on such a radical level that this world becomes more of a foreign country. To be ambassadors of another kingdom. Amen? So, let's talk about that for a little bit. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this thought. A wise man and a foolish man. Everyone who hears these words, what were the words? Everything he just preached. Starting with, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, right? Go on down the line. Okay, the entire sermon, the entire thing. Everyone who hears these words and acts upon them. In other words, that is the, that is the uh, activity of repentance. Is I'm walking one way. I hear a voice 
Jesus, John the Baptist and the message of the kingdom was, was uh, likened to a voice calling in the wilderness. I'm walking one way, doing life my way. I hear a voice behind me. And it's not, to, uh, it's not simply to turn and go to heaven. It's, it's absolutely to stop walking a road that, was, that is my life and my way and to turn around and start walking a road that is his way. And narrow is the way. And few are those who find it. And it's hard road to walk. It's not wide, it's not easy, a hard road to walk, but nonetheless, it's the only road that lives that leads to life both now and then. So repentance is to hear the words and to stop. Real action. Not not talking a good talk. That makes sense? Not not knowing the right answers at Sunday school time. Not talking a good talk, but real action of stopping the way I'm doing it, changing the way I'm doing it, and then pursuing His way for the rest of my life. That is repentance. Big picture. Okay? So Jesus says at the end of the sermon, you've heard all this sermon, you've heard all these words. There's a wise man who builds his house. What's the analogy of the house? The house is our life. The man who builds his life on these words is wise. Why? Because the sermon is in itself wisdom. How do we know it's wisdom? I'm teaching here. I'm convinced that Jesus was quoting the five books of the concepts of the five books of wisdoms. All the way from Job to uh, in the concept of life is futile, don't worry about everything. Right? To the, to the uh, concepts of lady wisdom and a harlot that would cry out in the street, adultery. Not lady wisdom, the harlot, that would cry out in the street, that would seduce people for adultery. And Jesus addressed, he's addressing all the major factors of the five books of wisdom, including the first factor that's brought up in Psalm chapter 1. What's Psalm chapter 1 say? Blessed is the man who does not sit, walk, stand, sit, stand, walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but in the right? The first thing that Psalms tells us is this is how to be blessed. The first thing Jesus tells us is this is how to be blessed. He's teaching wisdom. So the wise man will build his house on these teachings for the rest of his life. On a solid ground. And everything that life brings is going to crash against the house, but it's going to stand. The foolish man is, the, is, is I'm talking about the, the abounding of how foolish this man is. You're better off to have never heard the words. But the man who hears these words and then goes on living his life, his way, you will fall. And the last sentence is how great your fall will be. Because hearing him brings a certain amount of responsibility. Somebody say amen. I told you it's going to get a little heavy today. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, right? But it's a little bit heavy today. Let's go on. Uh, uh, Missy, you have decent handwriting. Uh, grab the chalk. And I want you to list, you know, boom, 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 all these words, okay? First word is poor. Second word right underneath it is mourn. Anybody want to guess what the third word might be? Meek. Anybody see a pattern happening here? All right, what's after meekness? 
hunger slash thirst. Merciful. Pure in heart. You can just put pure heart. That's good. Good job. You're doing a great job. Um, next, we would have peacemakers. Next, word, write the words persecution. P U R. Write the words with persecution out, like indent, and use your indent button, okay? Um, write insult, lies, and write the words uh, rejoice and be glad. Just write the word rejoice. Really small. Okay, they get it, they get it. Okay. Thank you very much, dear. You're a good, you're a good man of white. Okay. Yeah. You get a hand. I can preach my guts out. And you get a hand for writing on a chalkboard. <laughs> I'm trying to be a meek here. Now, I'm going to prove to you that you need to repent. Okay? I'm going to prove without a shadow of a doubt every person in this room needs to repent. How many of you in your flesh, and listen, listen, flesh being defined as not in the spirit, so flesh isn't only defined as when you're at your worst. Flesh is defined as when you're not in the spirit. You can be uh, socially acceptable and morally good and not be in the spirit. There was a rich young ruler who proved that point, right? So to be in the spirit is what we're after. Paul said there is this great war. It's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And the, and the battle is to not fulfill the desires of the flesh, but to live according and walk according to the spirit. Amen? The spirit of God is, is, is the substance of the kingdom. The flesh is the substance of this earthly kingdom. In this kingdom, we live for this. Gratify this and do it now, 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 now. Instant gratification, preservation of self and my personal flesh versus the number one need I have uh, versus the kingdom of God where everything, the spirit dictates every aspect of life and living. The spirit does it. Amen? It's the spirit. It's the way and the life of the spirit. So in our flesh, in our carnal mind, look at me. How many of you were trained to live and think this way? Nobody, <laughs> nobody in our carnality was trained to live and think this way. This is not the human disposition. Uh, when Chad was but a wee child, right? I didn't, he, I, 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 he didn't come out believing poor in spirit. He came out believing if I want it, I'm going to take it. Doesn't matter if somebody else is playing with that toy. It's mine, mine, mine. You see what I'm saying? Like you, your, your, uh, your disposition in humanity fallen is this. Is not this. It's the opposite of this. So we live with don't be poor. Actually, do ev do everything possible in your life to be rich. Now, I, don't know, I know I'm sounding like I'm talking about money. I'm really not talking about money. What I'm talking about is the idea where uh, 
Poor really means live 100% dependent upon God and His Spirit, and everything in this world is teaching you to live independent, uh, 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 self-sufficient, where you don't need anybody, anything, but you can do it all on your, all on your own, including you don't even need God. That makes sense? That's what, the, that's what the world is teaching us. And so uh, nobody chooses to mourn. Does that make sense? Mourning's what happens to us. We don't choose mourning. And here the, the, and here the, the king of the kingdom is saying, uh, if you want to be blessed, you need to choose to mourn. In other words, you need to grieve over the things that grieve God. Nobody chooses this. Even when it comes to our own sin, we will harden our hearts toward it, and it won't grieve our heart the way it grieves God's heart. Okay, that one is a little dwarf. Nobody naturally chooses meekness. We want power. I want to be in, uh, how many of you want to be in control? Raise your hand if you're a control freak. Okay, some of y'all controlled your hand by not raising it. I'm not going to be meek. This world and its system tells you it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You better do what you got to do to get ahead, right? If nobody's talking about meekness. And to tell oh, I'm trying not to meddle. And the Christian world is infatuated with the man who displays everything but meekness. Calls him a God-sent king. That's how much we're disillusioned by this current kingdom. We spend our entire lives feeding our hunger and quenching our thirst. And Jesus is like, literally, live in a live where you never satisfied. Live in a way where you're never satisfied. Like you have to keep coming back to the well for more and more and more and more for the righteousness of God. There's a few of you that if I said, raise your hand if you're merciful. Some people say, my personality, I'm predisposed to being merciful. I say, okay. But I'm telling you, is mercy the standard of the culture that we live in? No, mercy is not the standard of the culture we live in. The standard of the culture we live in is to, uh, if uh, people, look look at me, look at me, right here. This was Old Testament teaching, even in, even in, uh, uh, even in God's old covenant, and a new covenant came and fulfilled it. In an old covenant way, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, no mercy. And Jesus comes and says, well, the kingdom's actually made up of mercy. Aren't you glad you didn't get what you deserve? <laughs> Who was it? Who was it? Thank you. Thank you, Christy C. Okay, all right. So we have like three, or is it going in here? Okay, we have like three baby boys in here, which there's like a baby boy epidemic going on. Yeah, amen. And so, and I was like, Christy, like if he yells, like I don't care. Like Cohen is my number one amen or most of the time. And so thank you, young man, for that amen. All right, so uh, raise your hand. <laughs> this is, no, no, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't raise your hand. We're not taught to be pure in heart. 
What we are taught to do is uh, not let what's in our mind and in our heart be said out loud. You know, mind your manners. But that's about as far as it goes. It's like, just be, be, mind your manners and don't say what you want to say. Rather than dealing with the way you're thinking. We're not taught to be pure. We're not taught to make peace. We're taught to make war. Right? This world since Cain and Abel has been hell bent on war. War after war after war. It is the, it's in the human DNA to fight each other. You hear what I'm saying to you? That, that we're not, we're, and Jesus of another kingdom says, Come, let's make some peace. I don't want to make peace. Matter of fact, I'm an Israeli and I'm under Roman occupation. I want to kick their butts out and regain my land. And the king comes and said, make peace. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So uh, uh, nobody is going, when persecution, when insult and lies come your way, rejoice and be glad. Nobody's saying that's the natural response to persecution, insult, and lies. That's not natural. You literally have to force yourself to try to muster up some kind of rejoicing whenever, uh, whenever somebody comes against you. So my point is, is, these are the most unnatural things of this world. Does that make sense? There's nothing more natural than feeding your hunger. There's nothing more natural than gaining wealth. That makes sense. There's nothing more natural than avoiding the times of mourning and having joy and, or excuse me, happiness. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing more natural to our world now than to reject these things and to do what makes us feel right and feel good. Amen? And here Jesus comes on the scene and says, this is what the kingdom man looks like. I'll demonstrate it for you. How do you demonstrate it for us? Off the top of my head, that's not prepared. I have no idea how this is going to go. He said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have no place to lay your head. Help me know I'm doing okay. Okay. So he embraced a, he embraced, he could have made himself the richest man on earth multiple ways. Saying yes to Satan, embracing the crowds and giving them the crowds everything they want, which was the Roman way. He chose poor in spirit. He chose to mourn. He'd walk in Jerusalem and start crying. He'd walk into Lazarus' situation and start weeping. He chose mourning. Meekness. Gentle answers. Well, yeah, but there was that one time he grabbed a whip. And there was that one time where he took a woman caught in the act of adultery and shielded her from the rocks. He was meek. He was humble. He was lowly. Not only because that's the way he was, because that's what was prophesied by Isaiah, how he would be. That makes sense? Hunger and thirst. With man would fast and pray on a regular basis because he understood his greatest need was God and righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? He was hungry. Uh, uh, Eat flesh, drink blood. Not going to turn a rock into bread. I don't live by bread. I live by the words. Merciful. 
cross of Christ, pure in heart. There was no deceit or guile or, 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 or found in him. His words were pure. That's why they could pierce. Because they weren't, they weren't mixed with ambition and they weren't mixed with personal uh, 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 manipulation. He was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. Literally, Paul said he built, uh, he, 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 he was the reconciling force between God and man, making peace between God and man, right? He's a peacemaker. Persecution. Did persecution come his way? What happened when persecution came his way? Father, forgive them. So Jesus and the king, he comes on the scene and he's, and he's saying, live this way, right? And it's the absolute opposite way our flesh intends to live. So let me ask you this question. If that's what walking the narrow road looks like, and you're walking the opposite way, and, 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 the, and, and the king is calling and saying, stop walking that way, turn around and walk this way, Raise your hand. It, even if we've been born again for scores of years, how many of us still need repentance? And I don't think anybody in the room wouldn't raise their hand right now. That makes sense? So when the, when the scripture is telling us to repent, it's not because it's, it's uh, Captain Killjoy. Not because God's in a bad mood and he's just making sure you need to do everything right. That makes sense? It's because he says there is this. It's not the micro he's looking at. It's the macro. Let me put it to you this way. So on this tree, we have fruit, right? And we got roots and we have fruit. So many of the sins that we like to talk about are fruit. And here's what I think that the rest of the sermon, I'm still teaching here. I think Jesus takes the first 12 verses and he says, this is the, this is the, uh, the root of the kingdom. These things are the roots of the kingdom. And then he takes the rest of the sermon all the way to chapter 7. And he gives us individual examples. Look at me. Individual examples of what um, of, of fruit that would manifest if we don't have the root. Let me explain it this way. He says, you're not a merciful and you're not meek and you're not a peacemaker. And so uh, that's the root. You don't have those things rooted. And then what happens is you begin to, to grow a fruit of anger that is the same thing as murder. So what we try to do is attack anger. And we get frustrated because the more I try not to be angry, the angrier I get. How many know what I'm talking about? So we try to attack the fruit, but we don't try to implement the root. I'm, I'm teaching like really good. Oh, no. And we can take all the different analogies in the sermon that he preaches where he gives you examples of fruit that we need to instill the root, but we're all the time just trying to pick off bad fruit, but we're always going to keep growing bad fruit because we're fruit conscious and not root conscious. So if I have a lust problem, if I have a, 
uh, adultery of the heart problem, if I have a divorce problem, right? Uh, uh, the, the, the fruit is divorce. The root was <laughs> no mercy, no, no, uh, you, you won't label yourself as the peacemaker in the home. Right? Uh, anyway, we could go, whatever the fruit is. And he, he goes through all the different ones. I'm all, all the, uh, uh, you want to you wanna pray, right? Uh, but this is how you pray. To those of you who pray under a system where uh, you're meant to be seen and not meek, you pray out loud standing on the corner for everybody to come see you. And your prayers are like nothing, like they hit the wall, they bounce back down. What you need is meekness and a, and a hunger. The hunger is in the gut. You need to go get in a closet and you need to pray where nobody can see because that's where God is. Yeah. So even our, our religious self-righteousness is a fruit of not having the roots. Self-righteousness is absolutely a, 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 a fruit of not having a root where your number one need is God yeah. and his spirit. I am poor, 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 a beggar for the things of God. That's what I need more than anything else. And so many times in the, in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you see these people who are trading rewards where they will, uh, they will have earthly praise here and not have the reward of heaven. That makes sense? And, the king, and what is the heaven? It's the kingdom. So you forfeit the kingdom reward to have an earthly reward. Does that make sense what I'm saying? All right, so, and, and so my point is, is we need new root systems. You don't have an anger problem. You don't have a lust problem. You don't have an a, a, a unforgiveness problem. You don't have a, whatever you want to call the problem. What you have is a root system that you was told how to have. You just decided not to implement it. And so what are other roots in the scripture? Hebrews tells us that bitterness is a root. So I rooted myself in bitterness because I refused to root myself in mercy. How many are curling your toes right now? This makes me go, oh me, oh my. And I am nothing special. I'm just saying, I'm like, I read, I'm doing, I'm reading the Sermon on the Mountain going like, I am not qualified to teach this. This is why I'm asking all of us to start at ground zero. I know nothing and I'm not a good example. Which may be the ability to admit that may be the only reason I can hold the microphone. That makes sense? Even that sounds weird to say. I, I posted this on Facebook yesterday. It's like this idea that the, the modern gospel is trying to sell us this idea of how great we are. You're the head, you're not the tail, you're the this, and you're not too blessed to be stressed. And I mean, all this kind of stuff. And it's like all this Christianese language, only go where you're celebrated, don't go where you're tolerated, right? And all this kind of stuff. I'm glad Jesus didn't go where he was, uh, I'm glad Jesus is willing to go where he was not tolerated. Yeah. So all this Christianese jargon that, that Christianity is trying to sell us, listen to me, listen to me. Sometimes the most expensive thing you can buy is your own stock. Sometimes the most expensive thing, the one thing, sometimes the thing that will cost you the most is buying into your own goodness. Rich Rungler comes up to Jesus, I'm good. You ain't good. 
And by all accounts and standards in this room, he was probably pretty dang good. Jesus, you ain't good. There's only one good. So what's the response? Repent. Right? That's not like this beat you down message, is it? It's not this beat you down message of you're nothing, you're garbage, you're this, repent. repent. The, the call is there's a better way. There's a higher way. And that way is nothing like this way on this earth. Nothing like it. And I'm calling you to come to a, 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 a kingdom that is not in this earth and come up higher. Right? That's, the, that's what repentance is. It's not, it's not a dirty word to try to kill all the joy in your life and try to make you miserable. It, is, it literally is the invitation of the king to come do it the king's way. So here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. The only way you commit to doing it this way, look at me, you must be convinced of the king. You can be convinced of going to heaven and still not do it this way. Because you was convinced of a final destination, but you weren't convinced of a king who's had a better way. So then, again, our fascination has to be Jesus and his way. There he is looking at us. One more scripture and I'm done. Dr. Gladstone taught this a long time ago. Uh, many, many years ago when he came, and I can't remember if it was Sunday morning or we had a, uh, like a leadership gathering down in the old basement. I don't remember which one it was, but he taught through the book of Romans, the first 12 chapters, and he taught um, the gospel message that starts with the idea that, number one, man needs rescued, right? Man needs salvation. Uh, left to himself, he's depraved. That makes sense? And not only that, he'll get so depraved and so hardness of heart that he'll call evil good and good evil. And so then it, the story of faith by righteous, righteousness by faith and then the story of the gospel having power and the story of uh, G, uh, the God and, uh, that who, who, who loved you so much that he demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, he came and died for us. And how he, 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 he we don't live according to the law, but we live according to, to the faith and, and the king and the kingdom. And he goes on and he, and he keeps talking about all the stuff that isn't just salvation, but it's gospel, right? faith and righteousness and doing uh, and, and, uh, the battle. That's where he talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit, right? And he's like, I want to do things this way, but I can't, you know, and he's like, I'm, I'm in war, but you know, there's grace. And, 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 and that's where the scripture says, my grace is sufficient for you. Somebody say amen. And like all this kind of stuff. And, and he ends up in verses 9, 10, 11, chapter 9, 10, 11. He's talking about how ultimately the gospel will culminate in worldwide revival when Israel is saved. And, and, and he brings, he ties up all the loose ends and everything comes to uh to one head and then and then he comes and then it's like and it's like the big story from chapter one to eleven of the whole of the whole gospel. That makes sense? Makes sense? All the, it is absolutely the 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 textbook 
Uh, all other textbooks had been written on this textbook, the first 11 chapters of the, of the doctrine of salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ come from Romans chapter 1 through 11. And you get to verse chapter 12. Throw up chapter 12 for me, buddy. Therefore, in light of everything you just heard, therefore, I laid out the entire gospel for you. We're going to use Matthew's terminology, the gospel of the kingdom. Therefore, I just tur- I laid out the entire gospel for you. I urge you, by the mercies of God, because that's what was presented, a merciful God. Present your bodies a living and holy. I am very sad and, and, and uh, to be honest with you, angry that we've turned holiness into a synonym for legalism. Well, the only way you're holy is because positionally in Christ, Jesus made you holy. That is a way. It is not the only way. We're instructed to be holy as he is holy. We're instructed to be righteous. And not, uh, I didn't earn my righteousness. Somebody say amen. amen. You didn't earn yours. But I'm still instructed to live it out and walk out righteousness. Because he who practices righteousness is righteous. I'm commanded to be holy as he is holy. I'm commanded to look at the, the kingdom and its king and his holiness and then to mirror that, emulate that, uh, to, to uh, when people look at me, to see that, not me, that. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, sacri- living and holy sacrifice. Isn't it funny how that just rolls off the tongue with skipping the word Holy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in light of God's mercies, to present yourself a living sacrifice. That's not what it says. It's living and holy. It's really easy, easy, easy to get holiness out of the message. Acceptable to God, which is worship. I love what we do on Sunday morning. Amen? But if you stand on a Sunday morning and lift your hands and sing how awesome he is and how great he is and how grateful you are for him and what he's done for your life, but then walk out there and don't exemplify these things, that's a problem in the kingdom. Am I saying perfect? I'm not talking about perfect. But I'm saying I want my song to match up my lifestyle. Acceptable to God. When you're enraptured in deep presence on a Sunday morning here with your hands up and you just feel the glory of God, just. I hope that you have an awareness of God whenever you're practicing mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve mercy in the same way. Because that's just as much an act of worship as a Sunday morning. I forgive you. Man, I just felt the Holy Ghost, right? <laughs> right? Like, uh, uh, you deserve a black eye. I give you mercy. Whoa, goosebumps. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's just as much an act of worship as what we do on a Sunday morning. Verse 2, therefore, do not be conformed to this world. You're walking down the path of the world. You stop 
and you turn away and you begin to go the kingdom way, how is it that I can still continue to look like the world if I'm walking away from the world? I can't. Don't be conformed to this world, but be, we sang this word this morning, transformed. What song was it? It was, uh, it was the one Lacey was singing about, something about the spirit come and transform. Anyway, the idea is don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing. Nobody reads this verse and thinks, I one time thought the thought, I ain't got to do it no more. We understand that this verse means a continual renewing of the mind. That is the same definition of repentance. Repentance isn't a one-time thing where you said, Jesus, I'm sorry, now I'm saved. Repentance is a lifestyle and a continually putting into practice the rejecting of the old way and the embracing of the new way. Amen? So renewing my mind. Why does my mind need renewed so much? Because I'm not predisposed to think this way. Amen? Amen? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the... Everybody say that next word. The will of God. Our Father who art in heaven. This is Sermon on the Mount. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your... The kingdom and the will of God are inseparable. The, the, the kingdom of God is the will of God. Put that on a t-shirt. The kingdom of God is the will of God. That's why we're supposed to pray that kingdom and will come. That's why when Jesus was ready to do his most kingdom work, the dying on the cross, he asked that his will would come into submission. The kingdom and the will are the same thing. It's what we're called to pray for. I need my mind renewed that I can prove that the kingdom and his way is God's will. Does that make sense? Is the right way. Um, and here's my thing. Here's the thing. I'm supposed to prove this to the non-kingdom world. I'll get, I'll get in there Wednesday night and I'll teach these kids that there is a way that God set forth that is God's way, the kingdom way, the right way. Right? And this whole world is trying to tell them that's not the way. You don't have to, that's, that's, that's not wisdom. Actually, that's foolishness. Who would want to uh, commit lifelong to somebody they haven't? You see what I'm saying? It's, the world presents it as foolishness, while God presents it as the kingdom way. And so, so my point is, is we're going to prove, I want your kids to grow up and to prove that the way of God was actually great. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, complete. Jesus is really, 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 really uh, intentional about not calling all things good. But here, the will is called good. Not by Jesus, but by Paul. That makes sense? Okay, so this is not where, look at me. This is not where I go, everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. Everybody, everybody bow your eyes, close your heads. Okay? This is not where I say that. 
This is not where we have an altar call. And if you want to repent, because this is what we've turned repentance into, is you run up to a front and you say, I'm sorry, which is not repentance. If I'm, if I'm uh, being mean to my wife every day, I can tell her I'm sorry every day. The only proof of repentance is I stop and do it a different way. But we've turned repentance into say you're sorry. So my point isn't for you to run up here and say you're sorry. My point is, is look at me, look at me. Why, Pastor Chester, are we going to take nine months and get bored out of our mind on the same message over and over and over again? Because that's how long it might take to scratch the surface of how much I am away from there. I need poor, drilled into my spirit, and drilled some more and drilled some more until I tap a well that is way down there. I need mercy drilled into my heart over and over and over and over again. I need slapped upside the head with the teaching of mercy until a light bulb goes off that can't be shut down. So what we're after is a nine-month journey of turning. And we got a big ship and we're going to get that thing turned. Amen? So that's the point of it, not running to the front. Man, that boy is saying amen. Dude, get it. All right? And here's my point. Here's my point. We need nine months of intensive care and repentance. Does that make sense? I really pray. My prayer is that at, at the end of 2024, we're not the same. Amen. Stand up on your feet. How many of y'all actually, this is a weird thing, but when you hear this message, not because I preach it, but when I, I'm talking about when I study it, it's like I realize this is going to hurt, this is going to cut deep, this is what I want really bad. How many of like, you feel that? Like It's like there's something that's drawing you to a deeper walk with God. Does that make sense? And so I just feel like that's, that is uh, very real. Let's just pray. Two minutes early, man, I am the man. Very meek man. Father God, we love you. God, I think that I stand in front of these people. And I think I, I want to say I speak for everybody when I say we have been convinced of the king and that what you're asking us to do is absolutely a worthy endeavor and absolutely the desire of our heart. And I pray in Jesus' name, we ask for grace. Grace to do what we can't do in our own strength and our own power. So my prayer is that the mountain of religion and the mountain of, 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 of flesh and the mountain of all the things that would stand in the middle of the narrow road, that we speak grace, grace, grace to that mountain, it would be removed, that we may walk this narrow road. We throw ourselves at your mercy and we, we, we express 
with great urgency and fervency our need for you and your help to do this. By the grace of God, may we become your kingdom people. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Hey, I love you. I'll see you.